On this episode of The Growth Show, we talk to Mark Roberge, the Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot and the author of The Sales Acceleration Formula, using data, technology, and inbound selling to go from zero to 100 million. Do you feel like co companies get too focused too quickly now, or there's a little bit of bias to that now? Totally agree. I think it's always actually been the case, even mm -hmm. on their strategy. I mean, think about it. We've seen dozens and dozens of successful companies from Dropbox to ourselves to uh, you know Evernote, et cetera. I can't think of one super successful company where the, the founder had this idea, left their job, started this company, and that worked. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Growth Show, uh, produced by Dave Gerhardt. I'm Mike Volpe, the CMO at HubSpot, and we have a special guest on this episode. We have Mark Roberge. Mark, how are you doing? Good to meet you, Mike. Thanks yeah, for having me in. Nice, nice to meet you. It's, uh, thanks for coming into the studio here. Uh, so for those of you who don't know Mark, he doesn't really require much of an introduction for those of you that know HubSpot, but Mark, Mark built sales. He and I started at basically the same time, uh, eight years ago at the company, and I built marketing, Mark built sales. Uh, so welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So um, obviously, there's so much we could talk about. We have eight years of history building revenue at HubSpot, all sorts of things. But one thing uh, we wanted to talk about, and this is actually a, a part of your book uh, that you just published called The Sales Acceleration Formula. Uh, so folks can check that out. But we wanted to talk a little bit around sales compensation specifically, because I know you probably get the question 20 times more than I do. But even people ask me, like, how do you think about compensating sales reps? How do you incent the right behavior? So I, let's dive into that. At, at a big picture, how, like, you know, how should you start to think about a sales compensation plan? Sure. I mean, I think the sales comp plan is one of the most underutilized tools in the CEO's tool chest of anything they have strategically at their disposal. And unfortunately, I see most organizations actually delegate that decision to the VP of sales. And the VP of sales either implements the comp plan they had at their last company or some just, you know, pretty generic blueprint that they've seen across the industry. And it's such a on this episode of The Growth Show, we talked to Mark Roberge, the Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot and the author of The Sales Acceleration Formula, using data, technology, and inbound selling to go from zero to 100 million. Do you feel like companies get too focused too quickly now, or there's a little bit of bias to that now? Totally agree. I think it's always actually been the case, even mm -hmm. on their strategy. I mean, think about it. We've seen dozens and dozens of successful companies from Dropbox to ourselves to uh, you know Evernote, et cetera. I can't think of one super successful company where the, the founder had this idea, left their job, started this company, and that worked. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Growth Show, uh, produced by Dave Gerhardt. I'm Mike Volpe, the CMO at HubSpot, and we have a special guest on this episode. We have Mark Roberge. Mark, how are you doing? 
Good to meet you, Mike. Thanks yeah, for having me in. Nice, nice to meet you. It's, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming into the studio here. Uh, so for those of you who don't know Mark, he doesn't really require much of an introduction for those of you that know HubSpot, but Mark, Mark built sales. He and I started basically the same time, uh, eight years ago at the company, and I built marketing, Mark built sales. Uh, so welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So um, obviously, there's so much we could talk about. We have eight years of history building revenue at HubSpot, all sorts of things. But one thing uh, we wanted to talk about, and this is actually a, a part of your book uh, that you just published called The Sales Acceleration Formula, uh, so folks can check that out. But we wanted to talk a little bit around sales compensation specifically, because I know you probably get the question 20 times more than I do. But even people ask me, like, how do you think about compensating sales reps? How do you incent the right behavior? So I, let's dive into that. At, at a big picture, how, like, you know, how should you start to think about a sales compensation plan? Sure. I mean, I think the sales comp plan is one of the most underutilized tools in the CEO's tool chest of anything they have strategically at their disposal. And unfortunately, I see most organizations actually delegate that decision to the VP of sales. And the VP of sales either implements the comp plan they had at their last company or some just, you know, pretty generic blueprint that they've seen across the industry. And it's such a huge opportunity for both the VP of sales and the CEO to think about that year strategically, what are they trying to accomplish, and how can they embed um, aspects of the compensation plan to support that strategy and, and drive it. And as you know, Mike, looking back in the last few years, the big right turns we made as a company, especially early on, so many of them were largely driven from changes to the compensation plan. It was really effective. Yeah, I think I think the point you're making there is that you know it's uh, don't feel like there is not a a sort of standard blueprint for a sales compensation plan that every single company should be rolling out, that it should be highly flexible based on what stage of growth you're at, what exactly is your strategy, what you want to focus on. And your point is don't be afraid to kind of really pull those levers and have some pretty different sales compensation plans. I mean, I, you know, I know obviously we've had over the eight years so far at HubSpot, some pretty radically different sales compensation plans. You want to take folks back to kind of the very beginning, like the early days when we had, you know, eight or 10 customers, you were just starting to hire some of the first few sales reps. Like what was, what were we thinking in terms of the strategy for the compensation plan way back then? Sure. I think our story really tells the story of like a generic startup and the different phases that a startup goes through in terms of, I need customers. Let's get a bunch of customers. Then moving into like, hey, let's make these customers successful. Then moving into, hey, we need to build a business here and we need to think about the economics of the business. I think you know, there's, there's ways to kind of label those for every generic startup. And that's pretty correlated to the different changes we went through in the early phases were our, with our comp plan. So in the early days, I mean, yeah, we were sitting here. We had a few dozen uh, customers. We had less than 10 employees. We started hiring a sales team. We needed customers. We had a theory as to what we were going to do as a business. We had a theory as to whether our product was the right product for the industry. We just needed customers. So we went out there with what I'd call sort of this hunting, quote unquote, <laughs> plan. And if you remember, Mike, I mean, sim simply speaking, it was like um, for every dollar of monthly recurring revenue, you know, if someone paid us, you know, 500 bucks a month, we paid our salespeople two bucks for every dollar. So they got a paycheck, of, a commission check for $1,000 for that $500 deal. Beautifully hunting oriented, really simple. We had a little bit of protection in there that we had a four month clawback, if you remember. Um, so if that deal canceled within four months, we took the whole commission back, a little protection on customer success. But it worked great. I mean, we went from, I think, 50 customers to 1,000 within uh, eight months or something like and, that. And so back then, sales reps could sign up a new customer. They could pay monthly in a credit card. It was like it was like super simple. It's like, how much is the customer paying? Okay, per month, great. Double that. Here's your commission check. Done. And as long as they just don't cancel in the first four months. Great. Right? Right. Yeah. And we so went, we went yeah. from this garage band to like, hey, <laughs> there's something here. 
And, and most importantly, our product team and us as a company had a thousand customers now to look at and say, okay, who is this working for? Who is it not working for? And made us understand our business a lot better. I think, that's, I think people underestimate the value of having a lot of customers and a lot of different customers. I feel like people, there's this big trend. And I know, you know, I advise a few companies. I know you do as well. I think we're both on at least one board too. And I think there's a big trend right now for companies to get too narrowly focused too quickly and and to worry too much about customer success with their first you know, 30, 40, 50 customers and a really, really low revenue number. I, I agree with you. I think one of the things that was really neat with us is once we had kind of, you know, 500,000 customers, we had a bunch of customers from a bunch of different industries, a bunch of different size companies. And that really allowed us to learn a lot where the product was the best fit, you know, where we needed to then tailor our sales and marketing strategy to focus in and get a sense of which customers are going to be more successful, which ones are going to be easier to sell, things like that. I, do you feel like co- companies get too focused too quickly now, or there's a little bit of bias to that now? Totally agree. I think it's always actually been the case, even Mm. on their strategy. I mean, think about it. We've seen dozens and dozens of successful companies from Dropbox to ourselves to, uh, you know, Evernote, et cetera. I can't think of one super successful company where the, the founder had this idea, left their job, started this company, and that worked. It's like they always are iterating. And I think that's, I think that's kind of like the first challenge for a good founder is they need to understand that whatever they're thinking about right now is probably wrong. There's aspects of it that are wrong. And their most important element is to put themselves out there, give themselves an opportunity to experiment and iterate and find that right that right uh, position. Yeah. And, and trying to sell people that don't buy is actually a useful experience. Trying to sell people that buy and then aren't successful is also a useful learning experience. So, okay. So let's, from that point, you know, we've got roughly a thousand customers. I think that's like, you know, kind of 3 million in revenue, right? So where, what's, where's the sales competition plan goes next? What's that next phase? Talk right. to us about so that. So clearly we could sell customers. And now the problem was, okay, we need to make a good amount of them successful. And like most companies at this stage, I mean, we looked into our customer base and it's not like 99% of those customers were super successful at that point. It's not even what we expected. So we were able to analyze which aspects of those customers were successful and which ones were not. I think the surprise to us at that point was... Um, when, when we saw the customers that weren't succeeding, we started to evaluate the, the churn rate by our post-sale consultants that were helping those customers, yeah, yeah. thinking that maybe some of them had some special methodology That's right. that this was is, working. This is the customer implementation folks, yeah, your consultants, and, and yeah. We could just replicate that for everyone. That's right. This is and the, remember, the real problem was it was the post-sale was the problem, right? It was, it was like, it was like yeah, it was definitely. The, yeah. It must have been. They, we, had, we had like, I don't know, probably six of them or something like that yeah. at the time. And like definitely there was two of them that were good, two of them were bad, yeah. two in the middle. Right. We just need to fire the bad ones, hire more of the good ones. It'd be yeah. fine. I totally right. remember this. And what that, actually happened? That was not what happened, right? Because when we <laughs> measured it, the the actual churn rate by post-sale consultant was basically the same. Right. And then when we measured by salesperson, that's where the problem was, right? So some salespeople were doing great, bringing on fantastic comp- customers, great fits, et cetera, setting really good expectations. Others had really bad churn rates. So we recognized that, wow, this is a, this, this customer success journey is going to largely be dependent on our ability to set good expectations during the sales process and seek out the best fit customers for our, for our company. So the sales reps that were selling the most successful customers, the customers that were most successful, sticking around for the longest, lowest churn rates, highest retention rates, were, were they the sales reps that were also selling the most deals up front? Were they the sales reps selling the least deals up front? Was there any correlation there? Definitely not the most. Um, <laughs> sometimes the least, sometimes the middle. 
right? So, right. and that's kind of expected, right? So, right. so what we went did from there was we, you know, basically stack rank the reps and said, hey guys, this is how you rank on customer success and churn. And you guys start paying attention to this because we're gonna start paying you based on this. And sure enough, the next quarter, you know, we increase the compensation for those who are at the top of that list and actually decrease the compensation for those who are at the bottom. I thought that was I thought that was fascinating once we got to that point because, you know, at that time, a lot of these, you know, these SaaS metrics that everyone talks about now were not commonplace. Like we with the rest of the industry at that time, and this is like kind of six years ago now, probably, we were still figuring out, like everyone else was, exactly what were the right metrics to think about. So the the I would maybe refer folks that are listening now to go back to like I think it was our first episode with David Scott where we go through a lot of those SaaS metrics and we talk about lifetime value of a customer, right? And we talk about customer acquisition costs and we talk about the relationship of those two things. But what you basically did was look at the all the customers that a given sales rep had sold and sort of evaluated each sales rep as if they were their own business and said, hey, you sold a lot of customers, but they're canceling pretty fast. This other person has sold way fewer customers, but they're sticking around twice as long. Like, And guess what? You made a lot more money than another sales rep, but... As a like as a business, that other sales rep is more profitable to me as a sales engine, right? So it was it was so once you got to that point, you sort of realized that the profitability per sales rep was very very different because they all had these very different retention rates for their customer bases. What was how do you change the compensation plan to align that with the strategy? Yeah. So with the with the uh, cancellation rate. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, and this is this was kind of like a new situation uh, because as you guys as you know in traditional sales. It was an 18-month sales cycle. You know, every they dotted all the I's, crossed the T's through the process. And once they bought it, they were stuck with it. Yeah. Like a, a professional service team was flying in to implement this thing, spending millions of dollars. There was no going back. That's and right. that's this is a new opportunity for SaaS or a new problem for SaaS yes. that you really have to think about. So so that's exactly what we did was we, you know, we split the group into quartiles. And the top quartile, we we increased that $2 compensation all the way up to four. And for the third, second quartile, we increased their $2 to $3 and said to both groups, hey, congrats, you guys have been on great fits. We assume that you'll continue to do that. The third quartile, we kept them at $2 per dollar MRR. And the bottom quartile, we cut to $1 per dollar MRR. And we, caught, we, you know, we said, listen, you know, you're not bringing on good customers. We hope you stick, along, stick around because we want to teach you how to bring on good customers. And we, we, in parallel, implemented some pretty aggressive training around what is a good fit customer? We in, we implemented new qualifying matrices. Remember the three C's, yeah, yeah, right? Totally. Of, of like to teach people not just who can buy, but who will stick around. Yeah. And six months later, I think our churn dropped by like seventy percent. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was really interesting that just you know we you always assume that it's a post sales problem or it's a products problem, right? And those things certainly influence. I think we've learned in the years since then that there's some levers there as well to also re- increase your retention rates. But you're totally right. I think we, um, before we dove in and did this whole analysis, we really, we kind of had this inherent assumption that it wasn't the sales rep's fault. Like it was like, hey, they're selling the product, people are signing up and then, you know, they're not successful. Like there's something else going on, but you're totally right. Like the sales reps have a lot of control over who they bring in and how hard they push to bring people on. I think that was the other thing too. A lot of them had to kind of back off and maybe become a little less salesy and a little bit more kind of qualifying and making sure people were sort of a good fit and going to be willing to make the commitment to make themselves successful. Yeah, and we were the extreme version of this. Unlike some of the other SaaS companies where you literally could set this thing up for half an hour and you're seeing value. I mean, as you know, inbound marketing is like going to the gym. You know, you you don't go three times and lose 50 pounds. 
you got to blog and do inbound marketing for a couple of months before you see significant changes to your business. So that commitment is uh, really, really important in our business. Well, and I think especially back then, I think that the whole notion of inbound was still a new thing and people didn't even realize the amount of work. I think now when you talk to folks, they have, they have much more of a sense going in before they even talk to us. Okay, I'm ready to make the commitment. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot, I've you know, done these things. Right. But there was it was a little newer back then, which I think made the problem even worse. I think you're totally yeah. right about that. Okay, so we do that for a while. We start to get, and you can see this overall, the historical numbers published about HubSpot. It's where our retention rates really start to increase. And that's great. It's one of the huge levers that help drive that. We get to a place where we're much happier with the retention rates. But you got to wonder in the back of your head, Okay, you you kind of put these, you know, uh, sort of training wheels on the sales reps to kind of keep them on the right path, but it's got to hold them back. It's got to be slowing them down a little bit. At some point, don't you want them to kind of lean in a little bit and like push a little harder and sell a little faster and kind of you know take some of the take some of the restraints off, take the governor off the machine a little bit so you can go a little faster? Like, how do you think about when's the right time to do that? Yeah, so I think at this point there were kind of three factors driving things. The first one was now that. The, the, the churn was much better, much lower. Um, when we started to look at why people canceled, the reason of like oversold went right. way down, right? It was probably like half the time when we started this initiative. Now it was just a slice, a very, very small slice of the pie. And we were getting that data because our customer team was doing exit interviews of all of our canceled customers. Exactly. exactly. Really, really important analysis for yep. us, right? Yep. And we saw because it was a slice of pie now that, wow, you know, some of these sales reps who are at the top of the retention uh, curve are actually just getting lucky, you know, because they're not influencers. So we have to change this. We have to ask ourselves, we don't want to lose this notion of customer success. Yes. But what is 100% in the control of the salespeople Mm -hmm. that's actually correlated with customer success? Mm -hmm. That was one big factor. The other big factor was at this point, we're starting, the industry was maturing, our company was maturing, business economics, lifetime value, cash flow, all these types of stuff started to really become important to us, profit margins, et cetera. And so for both those reasons, we decided to lean in heavily to upfront payments with mm-hmm, our sales team. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. okay, a salesperson has complete control as to how far in advance a new customer pays. And that happens to be really correlated to customer success because they're committed. And it happens to really support our journey into this bit focus on business economics. So that's essentially what we did was, you know, we removed this whole quartile thing and we put in a comp plan and said, okay, you're going to get paid X for every dollar MR you get paid, but you get half of it when the customer pays their first month bill, you get 25% on their six month bill payment, and you get the other 25% on their 12th month payment. Mm. So if the customer pays uh, all in a, a year in advance, you get it all up front. But if they don't, then you ride the risk just like the company does. And I, re- I think at the time, our annual contract length up front was like three months. Right, right. right. So, and I think the next month, it bounced to seven. Right. 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 And yeah. really, really healthy cash flow, mm-hmm. great protection around churn, made sure we were on committed customers, much better economics for the business. Yeah, I think people sometimes overlook the, you know, there's, uh, I've talked to a couple early stage startups recently, and they're talking about, oh, they want this value, you know, they want monthly, monthly, they want to stay monthly for as long as possible. There's good and bad to the monthly. I think what we loved about the monthly payments uh, and the customer signing up and making a monthly commitment in the early days it was much easier to get them signed up. 
and you got very fast feedback because they could cancel the next month. In fact, I remember a couple of customers. There were some weird ones back in the old days, uh, mm-hmm. but a couple of customers that canceled very quickly. And you're like, wow, like what went wrong? So you, you get the fast feedback. But once you have a much larger sample set, once you have you know a few thousand customers, that feedback becomes less important because you have a much larger sample set, right? Uh, and those upfront payments are good, as you said, for cash flow and helping to grow the business. But the great thing too about the upfront payments is you get more committed customers. Somebody, I mean, they're, they're forking over a big check and they're thinking mm-hmm. of this as an annual commitment as opposed to like, oh, well, it's basically just a paid 30-day trial, right? Yeah. So I think, there's, I think there's a good alignment there. So yeah, I, I agree. Like that, you yeah. want to keep that friction though. And I, I do remember some of those funny early customers. I don't remember the specific one. I think it was like a doctor or something. And I remember we were going through a very, it was like our 10th customer. And we are going through a very um, nice conversation about inbound and the way that he wanted to market his business. And he's like, okay, I'm, I buy into this. Okay, what do I do? Okay, here's the check. And then he was just like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to rent your neck <laughs> over the phone. I was like, oh, gulp. <laughs> so yeah, there were some, there were some interesting customers that we, I, I remember one. It was, uh, gosh, um, it was a woman who had a, she had a rare birds business. I remember this one. You're right. So she had like a bunch of rare birds and they would like lay eggs and then she would raise and they, then by rare, I mean, they sold for like five to $10,000 a piece. So wow. this is like, so she's trying to do some lead generation so she can sell her $10,000 birds. Pretty expensive product, right? Yeah. Um, and you're like, this kind of makes some sense. Niche thing, create some, like the whole model sort of makes sense. And it was funny because it was, I think it was like maybe two months in and she called up and she said, I have to cancel. And we're like, why? She's like, I'm getting too many leads. And we're like, we're like, we're like, oh, well, this is, this is easy. Like, of course you are. Like, this is the whole point. If you want to get all these leads and whatever. She's like, no, no, you don't understand. I only have seven eggs. So she's like, at most I'm going to have seven birds. Maybe I'll end up with six or five birds because maybe they won't make it. Like, whatever. Like, I only have seven eggs. I don't need 10,000 leads. I need 70 because my close rate's pretty good. There's just sort of one of those like, oh, like, okay. It worked too well for you. It was sort of like one of those. It was hard to, hard to, you know, be like, I have the birds lay more eggs. She's like, I only have so many birds. Like, it's just like she was inventory constrained. Right, and so you know she's making That's a lot of fantastic. money. She's doing great, but I, I remember that one. There were a yeah. bunch of others, but yeah. I thought that one was really funny. I remember talking to her and being like, I didn't have a whole lot of comeback for that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I could, I guess a thousand leads is probably enough for you. Yeah. I, I get That's it. That's too bad. Point. Yeah. So anyway, so we went to this this uh, comp plan that was more aligned with sort of the um, customer lifetime value, but also giving sales reps a little bit more control over how they were paid out because they had a lot of control, and that kind of helped us drive into that sort of scalable growth kind of phase of the business. And you know, we've made tweaks and things like that since then, but we've had. I'd say most of the comp plans since then have been kind of variants of that one. I would say for where we're at. Yeah, right I think now. we've been able to yeah. take our our you know our emphasis off the customer success because the industry's matured, the products matured, our business has matured, and allowed to lean in a little bit more to the the acceleration. Tell us about. Um, so this sounds all sounds great, but you know you started hiring sales reps eight years ago. Uh, you know how, there's typically high turnover in sales, right? You know, what happened? How, how do you think about retention for sales reps? Is there anything in the compensation plan that can be used as a lever for retention? Yeah, absolutely. This was actually one of my favorite parts. And it was funny as we go through interviews and interviewing candidates coming over from different companies. And I'd ask them, why are you thinking about leaving? And they're always like, well, this year's plan, they doubled my comp and cut my quota, uh, cut my territory in half, and it's just doubled too your hard. quota. And yeah, cut d- your territory d- doubled, in half. yeah, yeah, yeah. doubled yeah. my made quota. It, made it twice and, as hard. Yeah, so and, I had to sell and, twice and, as much in half of half our the space territory. and make and the same like, money. The, I, I I read from a great. It's um, uh, what was the company? One of the great sales consultant thought leaders just had something in HBR actually, um, saying how this whole double uh, quota cut, uh, you know, cut territories in half is just is archaic. And I, I definitely saw that and took advantage of it, to be yeah, quite frank. Yeah. So what we did here was um, 
Uh, when a salesperson came in, they were a salesperson. That was their title. They had a specific base salary. They had a specific variable compensation, and they got a few stock options in the business. And we put together this promotion criteria that wasn't based on tenure. Very, very important. You didn't have to be here a year to get promoted. It was just based on how, money, how much revenue you sold, what the uh, retention rate of your customers were, and different factors that we maybe wanted to lean into. It kept it pretty simple. And so when they hit those factors, they got a pay increase and they got more stock options. And they were now a senior salesperson. And then there was a new goal for them. It's another, a higher bar of like the size of your install base, the, uh, even a more aggressive productivity per rep, even a more aggressive churn rate. And then you get another bump, maybe another $10,000 on your variable comp and maybe another 5,000 options. And that was just, it was a really effective plan because there, there wasn't this like, hey, it's your annual review and you get your 3% bump and just like everybody else, it was like you, had, you controlled your own destiny. It was clear from the beginning. There was no tenure. Some people got um, bumped in seven months. Some people took 15 or 18 months, but it was really clear how it happened. And now you've got salespeople out there who are extraordinarily valuable to the company. They take very little coaching and management. They're coming in 150% every single month because they know our business so well and they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, if, if they were to explore another opportunity, the market rate for an inside salesperson is far lower than what they're getting here. And it's worth it for us to pay them that, right? So just, you know, whether you follow that structure or not, it's just there's a huge opportunity to rethink that whole sort of promotion path and retention of your rock stars within sales. Yeah, don't be maybe the core message is don't be afraid to overpay some of your top reps because they're they may be even more valuable than you necessarily think just from a retention perspective. Cool. Okay, so I'm sure all our listeners are like, oh, Robert, I got it, man. I'm gonna go change my comp plan tomorrow. What when they take that start to go down that path? Uh, I'm sure you have some advice for people about like overall things like when you're putting in a new comp plan. You know, what are the things they need to think about? Yeah. So my simple, you know, three things are simple, aligned, and immediate. Right. So Simple, um, you know, it's easy to bake in 50 different dimensions that you want to lean into. It's, you're not going to have an effective comp plan. The whole point here is to drive the behavior of your salespeople. And if there's 50 dimensions to it, they don't know what action is going to yield what right, result. Right. So they just throw up their hands and like, screw it, I'm just going like, to sell. I'm just going to sell something sell and, deals and, and whatever, hopefully it works it out. out. Yeah, so yeah. you have to keep it pretty simple, uh, lean into just a couple criteria. Aligned, makes, this is your huge opportunity to align it with your strategy. So the design of your comp plan should start with your corporate strategy, a discussion with your CEO. What are the three things that are most important for us this year as a company? And can any of those be driven through our salespeople behavior? And if so, this is the big opportunity for you in your comp plan. And then immediate being um, a sale, salespeople are a little bit short-term focused, right? So they're, if they do something really well, they need to feel that in their paycheck right away. Mm. And if they do something really bad, they have to feel that in their paycheck right away too. Yeah. Right. So the, the time between the good or bad behavior and the actual payment needs to be as close as possible. So simple, aligned, immediate. Think about that when you're going through your comp plan design. On that immediate thing, I remember an example of one of our reps uh, still here years and years later, one of our best reps now. But I remember he got a paycheck like, five or six months in to after he started for like a hundred dollars because he had sold a lot of really bad deals in his first two months and he had these huge clawbacks that hit him he literally basically got a paycheck for like almost nothing right, right. which is never what you want as a sales rep but let me tell you something like that 
that was pretty immediate. It was important feedback for him. And he made a lot of adjustments to his sales style. Like he's figured it out. And now he's one of our best reps, you know, seven years later. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's that immediacy thing I think is really important, especially for sales folks. It's, uh, um, it, you need to keep that in mind for sure. Tell us, so for folks who have read uh, anything by Daniel Pink, who actually will be speaking at our inbound conference in September, you know, he's written a few different books, uh, you know, To Sell as Human, but I think the one that he may be best known for is Drive, and it talks a lot about what motivates humans. And his whole thesis, and he's got like some scientific research to, you know, theoretically prove this, is that tying money directly to, to a specific activity is often not the best way to motivate people. And he talks about a couple examples of sales reps who are companies that don't have sales reps or companies that have sales reps or people that quote unquote selling that don't have a direct commission plan. What do you think about all that stuff? Is it, is it just totally bunk? Is it like, what role does that sort of thinking play within sales compensation? I think it's coming in the future for a slightly different reason. Um, I do think that if organizations switch to this right away, they'd see a pretty significant negative impact just because it'd be such a drastic change, the type of people that are in sales. Yeah. And it's just like it would wake you. It, what's, this, that variable comp wakes you up every day and, and just motivates you to do heavy activity and do that task over and over again. However, the place where I see that sort of like moving away from variable uh, commissions is probably a little bit more correlated to the consumerization of software, hmm. which is basically, um, you know, more and more of the frontline employees are adopting software without getting approval from anyone. Yeah. And, and then there's this groundswell that occurs at the organization and it's sort of adopted uh, internally. And then the, the actual, those who have budgets and those who are decision makers almost have to like purchase the business version just because, just to keep up with the pace of the company. And so in that world where so much more of the success of the sale and the company is driven by the product adoption and the role of sales moves from just like closing hard with this beautiful vision and value, uh, you know, value message and instead is trying to trigger adoption and support adoption, I think the types of people that will succeed there aren't the folks who will be motivated by money. And a money-driven sort of variable comp structure will be less advantageous than, say, some the ways our... our customer onboarding or more like account management type people are compensated. So I do think there's some insights there for Daniel that uh, from Daniel that over the years will be, will, that's my take, will, will come into fruition in the industry. But I think if companies took a drastic move to that today, unless they already have these sort of consumerization software attributes to them, I'm not sure it would be the best uh, positive implementation. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like it, he, he's sort of relatively careful in his book to break down kind of two fundamental types of roles, right? And there's sort of a, um, he's got like different analogies for them, but any role that's a little bit more repetitive and you're sort of trying to accomplish the same task on a relatively frequent or repeat basis versus something that's maybe a little bit more creative. He does kind of outline like, well, in the situations where it's a little bit more repetitive and the and the process is a little bit more outlined for folks, maybe you do want to pay them a little bit more, kind of like the way you pay sales reps today. So I think that kind of makes sense with kind of what you're talking about. But the thing for me is I feel like for, I think this is starting to break now, but a few years ago, I feel like from the marketing side, there was a huge movement to like pay your marketers like sales reps, right? And pay them on pipeline created, pay them on leads generated, pay them on, you know, sales accepted leads or marketing qualified leads or like whatever your three letter acronym was. And we've been relatively careful not to do that here. And I feel like for us, that's worked well. Like I think the things that I want to stimulate the marketing team is the ability for people to feel comfortable taking a bigger risk and try to do something that might, you know, get 
might get 10,000 downloads as opposed to 1,000. And it's hard for people to take those really big risks if they feel like they might their compensation might get cut by 50% the next month because they kind of whipped, yep. right? So yeah, it's like, totally if you want people to you know, swing for the fences, like try to hit some grand slams, you have to encourage them to take those risks and they need to feel like they're not going to take a big hit the next month if they happen to screw something up. So I, I don't know. I think it kind of depends a lot on the roles within the company, but I agree with you. I think for many, most companies today, I think having doing, doing all the compensation stuff you talked about earlier makes sense, but be careful not to apply that kind of a compensation model to a lot of other roles in your company, I think is maybe a piece of advice for folks. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, cool. Um, all right. So Mark, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I'm glad we're able to share some of our, our stories with all of our listeners. So thanks everyone to listening for this episode of the Grow show. If you enjoyed it, uh, it'd be awesome if you could leave us a quick review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, and you can chat about recent episodes, give us some feedback or suggest guests uh, at our discussion board at inbound.org slash growth. That's inbound.org slash growth. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk again soon. Are you guys listening to us? Totally, yes. They can hear. Just <laughs> you know, they can hear. They can hear everywhere. Yeah, recording? they're they're working on a video. They're working okay, on something okay. else. Um, he can hear. Like, thought... No, they like you really close to the mic. Right, you got to cool. do the whole like right. this whole thing with the thing with the this all this. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Something okay. Like this. Testing one two three. That good. Okay. Cool. Uh, we're ready to roll whenever you're okay. And you cool. took a, sh a photo. Nice. Awesome.